Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert Long with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani, 45 years in journalism between the two of us and over 35 years covering Houston sports. And we have got a treat for you because later in the show, our exclusive one-on-one with Texans linebacker Blake Cashman. But first, the big story in baseball, the Giants delayed the introductory press conference for Carlos Correa over medical exams, and the Mets swooped in, Sean, signing him to a 12-year, $315 million deal. What a wild turn of events. Yeah, and it's really not over yet, right? There still could be a story to be written here because his deal with the Mets is pending a physical. Um, you still have to keep an eye on it. I, I think me, like everybody else, is really curious about uh, what exactly the medical said to prompt the Giants to nix the deal. You know, they released a statement today um, from their team president saying uh, that there was a difference of opinion with the medicals. I want to know what that difference of opinion was. Or if, in fact, it was just a built-in opportunity for the San Francisco Giants, who might have had buyer's remorse, to just get out on the deal altogether. I kind of believe less in that because uh, I read a recent article just literally moments ago that's probably a few hours old now, um, but it had a quote in there from Scott Boris, Carlos Correa's agent, and it was a nugget that I didn't know about uh, earlier today, and Boris indicated to the San Francisco Chronicle that once there became an issue of uh, red flag on the medicals, the San Francisco Giants still reached out to Boris and wanted to negotiate. Maybe it would have been for lesser years and lesser money that whatever that red flag was, wasn't enough to completely kill the deal. But at that point in time, Boris and Correa clearly directed their attention to a team that a lot of people forgot about initially that were in on, albeit maybe brief talks with Carlos Correa, but the New York Mets who swooped in, as you mentioned, pounced on that deal. Um, I, I'm curious about a lot of things here. I want to know if Carlos Correa was just as interested when the Mets initially reached out to him about his services and moving to third base as he apparently became after the San Francisco Giants deal was next. That's going to be an interesting follow. I cannot wait, assuming that uh, the medicals are suffice to the New York Mets and this deal is actually inked and put in stone, and there's an introductory press conference in the coming days, I want to hear what Carlos Correa has to say because he's going to be peppered with all kinds of questions. It's going to be uh, really, really interesting to see how he and his camp decide to get out in front of this issue with the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, from an Astros perspective, I look at the Mets. They're loaded, so that is a concern. Justin Verlander is in in New York. Have you forgotten? And... uh, I think Blake Rayleigh's there. So you got to be worried about, no, that's not an ex-Astro you might be worried about. But just as a baseball fan in general, my, my biggest takeaway is it's sad to see Correa moving from shortstop to third base because of, of course, Francisco Lindor. Correa, Sean, tell me what you think. I think he might be the best defensive shortstop I've seen in my lifetime. I would have said Ozzie Smith for years and years, but Correa's arm combined with that wingspan, his ability to catch stuff, it seems like two or three feet over his head, all of that combined. I mean, I just, I, I'm going to miss that a little bit from a baseball perspective. Yeah. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, you, 
you do get a chance to see him at shortstop um, in the future um, because you don't know how that dynamic is going to work with Lindor at short and Correa at third base. I mean, maybe you see uh, uh, days which Lindor moves to second and Correa plays third or they flip third and short. I don't know. Um, Twelve, really ten years going off of Lindor's contract, who will be entering his second. So it's nine more years. That's a lot of time to spend together in hopes that it stays the same as the day that it was birthed, these two playing the same side of the field, the left side. So, you know, I don't know. It is going to be weird. Like, Ozzie Smith is one extreme. I was a little too young to really appreciate his game, but I certainly remember it, you know, doing backflips and cartwheels and all that stuff going out to his position. Obviously, the range factor that he had really throughout his career – I remember seeing Cal Ripken as a kiddo do some special things. Derek Jeter obviously is more in my wheelhouse, um, just given my age. I'm 40, so I got to see all the great years of Derek Jeter. And for me, he was like the first to do a lot of things and show his prowess at range and, you know, the jump, you know, the Michael Jordan kind of silhouette in the air kind of thing. Correa has taken that to a completely different level and has done things at the plate and on the big stage that a lot of those guys, um, you know, that came before him certainly had the opportunities to do on some big stages. Correa just simply had done it um, more routinely and better and got a World Series out of it with the Houston Astros and has become one of the highest priced free agent acquisitions um, made by the most ridiculous spending baseball club and really sports organization that we may ever see in our lifetime. Yeah, well, as far as Jeter is concerned, Really great shortstop, of course, but it's more because of his leadership and clutch hitting. I think of Jeter from those terms. Yeah, occasionally he would make those spectacular plays in the big moments, and you think he's a great defensive shortstop, but the analytics guys would tell you a whole other story. Ripken was about Correa's size, but nowhere near the athleticism or the arm or any of that stuff. It's a different era, though. You know, there's been a there's been um just like in all sports. I mean, go look at how basketball has changed over the course of the last 20 years positionally and things like that. And it's because these guys, um, you know, despite their size, they've become uh, more skilled handling a ball, more skilled shooters. They can take the basketball, uh, you know, out on the perimeter. You know, with baseball players, they've just simply become more athletic, more highly skilled and have been able to kind of compound those skill sets of guys that have come before, whether it be a Ripken or a Jeter or a Smith, and there's been countless others at that position and really all over. I mean, it's there's a trajectory as, you know, sports science gets better, as you learn how to better take care of your body and, um, you know, com- compete um, on the day in and day out and with respect to your, you know, whatever sport we're talking about. It's just doing this. Yeah, but I can recognize, I mean, I remember this pretty clearly, and there were athletes. I, you know, Bo, there's no Bo Jackson I see today. You know, I saw Eric Davis. I saw Ken Griffey Jr. You know, I'm old, but I'm not senile. And I remember who were the athletes. And there were athletes then that were equal to anything or better than anything that I see today. I'm telling you, like everything being equal, Korea, any time period, whatever, he's going to be special and it's going to be special for a long time. People will be talking about this guy for a long time. And his defense is long as that back keeps him on his feet. And, and we'll see how that goes. But the third base stuff, 
really takes away a little bit from, you know, with we saw it with A-Rod, but A-Rod was a little bit further down in his career, if I remember correctly, moving from short to third base. And he wasn't, you know, great athlete, tremendous, but not the shortstop. I don't think that Correa was, um, you know, as special as, as, as A-Rod is. And I, I want to go to Brantley because, uh, you know, the Astros fans, you want to talk Brantley right now. And I know everybody's excited. He signed a couple of days ago. We talked about it a little bit in the post game for the Texans game, but forgot to mention, Sean, the lineup is pretty good when Jose Abreu is batting sixth and Michael Brantley is batting seventh in this lineup. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, I, I talked to uh, John Heyman, uh, MLB insider, earlier today and asked him just how he kind of sees Michael Brantley fitting in with this already stout lineup without him in it you feel really good and with him in it I mean it is again dominant on paper and just one of the more incredibly deep lineups that you can find in all of baseball it's even looking at the Mets or looking at the Yankees and teams that you've already kind of run through it's impressive I don't know how that fits in um, and my impetus for that question to Heyman was like hey I know what the analytics guys said in regards to Jeremy Pena batting number two they didn't like it but what could possibly have been better from an analytics point of view than the production given to you by Jeremy Pena in the two-hole this past season? Uh, I'd be interested to see if Dusty Baker decides to kind of fiddle with that going forward, where guys do end up. I do agree with you about Abreu in the sixth spot, Brantley seven, and then rounded out by Chaz in eight, and Maldi uh, at nine, presumably, or whoever that is uh, catching that day. And I still think that's a little bit up in the air. Um, going forward, but it's it's incredible. I mean, the the amount of production possible looking at this team on paper is just ridiculous. You have to feel great about the addition of getting one of the more consistent hitters uh, during his era in Major League Baseball and Michael Brantley back in this lineup. Um, I, I think, uh, unfortunately for him, you know, much of his career in Cleveland was not paid near enough the attention and forgotten about, just completely neglected because he was. Uh, rotting away in Cleveland for so many years, but what he's done for a career has just been terrific. You can call him a singles hitter all you want to. All I care about is the fact that he's a 300 hitter. He gets on base. The OPS numbers are generally around 790, close to 800 every single year. I don't need him to hit 20 home runs. I need the guy to get on base and be the leader on and off the field that he's proven to be uh, during his uh, tenure here with the Astros that began in 2019. Yeah, you dropped $4 million in incentives when we did the Texans postgame show. And I texted you the next day thinking, we didn't mention that, but when you said $4 million in, in incentives, I thought that was part of the $12 million, not plus the $12 million. So it's up to $16 million. And that's what all confused me. So the $4 million is about how many at-bats he gets. And that's going to be interesting because... You know, if he uh, wants the at-bats really badly because he wants the money and who wouldn't, you don't know what Dusty's going to do. And we know Dusty, he likes to sit guys here and there. So that's going to be play a part. It's kind of a weird thing that they threw that in there. I, I, I don't particularly like that all that much. But the good news, Sean, from what I understand is tomorrow, the Astros are going to sign a new center fielder, Willie Mays. And they're going to round off the lineup the next day by signing Johnny Bench to play catcher. And we're all set one through nine. It's the greatest lineup in the history of the world. <laughs> I, I still think, um, you know, they're not done, um, at least in terms of their thinking and adding a piece uh, or two. 
But if, in fact, Jim Crane and his uh, powers that be, you know, Jeff Bagwell, Reggie Jackson and um, assistant general managers are done, if they're not able to work any more deals, I'm really looking forward to the competition this spring training. When you look at guys like David Hensley, you know, who got an opportunity late in the season, you know, really show that he could handle big league pitching. I think it's going to be fun to see him compete in spring training for a utility role. Um, I want to see how Yuli Gurriel factors into their plans moving forward. You really haven't heard too much on that front. Um, I think he would fill a big time void with the Ledmus Diaz signing with the Oakland Athletics. Um, but getting back to Hensley, I mean, where does Hensley factor in? Where does Pedro Leon factor in? Where does Yonner Diaz factor in? Um, you know, Jake, uh, Jake Myers, where does he factor in? You know, this organization right now still has some key decisions to make. You can carry up to 13 pitchers on a 26-man roster. You know, are they going to be looking at 12 pitchers and you've got to fill five bench rolls? Are you going to be looking at 13 pitchers? you got to fill four bench rolls. What that dynamic looks like, I want to see the competition from guys like Pedro Leone and David Hensley. And if it is a Yuli Gurriel brought into the mix, that kind of stifles it a little bit. But these guys play all over the place. And Hensley showed that he can handle big league hitting. I want to see what Pedro Leone looks like in extended playing time with competition saying, hey, here's the job opportunity. Go out and get it, big boy. Happy Hanukkah to all my people out there, and especially my people, Alex Bregman, who's speaking at my elementary school, Beth Shuren, as you and I are recording right now, Sean, and it's the same place that I was bar mitzvah. Oh, thanks, Alex, for coming out and seeing my peeps. That's very cool, man. How about that? Uh, <laughs> you don't get much bigger uh, in the Jewish community these days than Alex Bregman, do you? No, not really. Uh, let, me, let me get uh, last thoughts for you, Sean, before you light up your Astros 2022 Christmas tree. Uh, any last thoughts on the Astros uh, before we uh, move forward to some Texan stuff? I'm just impressed with the job that Jim Crane and uh, the contingent in the front office have done. I think they absolutely made the right decision in bringing Michael Brantley back. Um, you know, it's essentially, including the incentives, the same contract that he is just coming off of previously with the Astros. It was a two-year, $32 million deal, $16 million AAV. Um, it can obviously be increased to that much if incentives are met with the at-bats, as you mentioned. I do want to point to one thing. Dusty Baker has said, um, in the winter meetings that he wants to, he would like to get Brantley like 65, 70%, whatever that number was, it was fairly high play in the outfield. Well, Brantley was on pace to play 54, 55% of the time um, uh, as a DH last year. So it was a 50, 50 split for the most part. He'd done that before as a member of the Astros. And I think not since his first season in 2019 with Houston had he played left field with any sort of regularity. I think it was a 115-26 split and an 83-19 split or something like that, 83-31 split a couple of years ago. I would anticipate seeing about a 50-50 split, and this is assuming that both Brantley and Jordan are healthy at the right times and splitting time in left field and DH. I think it's an excellent idea. And I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for it really uh, working out the way that um, Jim Crane and Jeff Bagwell uh, has in their minds. You know, Baker might have to pump the brakes a little bit on putting Brantley in the outfield. The one thing you can't argue with, though, is Jordan and Brantley both play markedly better or perform, I should say, at the plate markedly better when they are playing in the field. So it'll be something interesting to keep an eye on. 
Before we get to the Texans, I do have a couple of quick, very good stories for Houston College football. UH lands Texas Tech quarterback Donovan Smith, who beat UH and UT in overtime this year as the Tech quarterback and in 21 games threw for 2,686 yards and 19 touchdowns. He has three years of eligibility left. Cougs will be excited about him as they move to the Big 12 to start their Big 12 tenure. Way to go, UH. And Sean, how about the Rice Owls landing a former five-star quarterback, their highest recruit ever, JT Daniels, who's played at USC, Georgia, and West Virginia, will be a Rice Owl. Wow. Saw that on the ticker last night. Uh, I think when I was getting ready for bed and I had to do a double take, I pressed rewind real quick. I'm like, what? The Rice, Rice did what? Are you kidding me? I mean, that's huge. I was excited for them. I'm pumped up, but I'm a lot more excited for uh, my Cougs because the fact that you can have him for three more years uh, as you do make that move to the Big 12 is huge. I think big things are, are still uh, forthcoming for the Cougs football program going forward. I don't know how much of it will actually include Dana Holgerson as the head coach. Um, I, I think, you know, he probably does deserve an opportunity to go back to the conference in which he'd coached in before and see what he can do there from a recruiting standpoint. Um, and as the influx of talents, they are another uh, year older. Uh, what he's able to do with those guys on the field that are ready to make contributions, I do think um, that we'll have an opportunity to see what he can do there. But, hey, big props to Rice for landing that five-star recruiting JT Daniels. I'm pumped up. The city is always better when you have more talent in it. And I would like nothing more than to see Rice football and really their baseball program come back to life along with their basketball program. It's just better when those two rival schools are uh, performing at their very best. It's a long way for JT Daniels going from uh, being in all these big SEC stadiums to the, you know, friends and family over at Rice. But, you know, congratulations to that fan base. They deserve that. Uh, quick reminder. To subscribe and comment on YouTube, it's the best way to support us. Look for our live Texans postgame show Christmas Eve after the Texans-Titans Saturday at 3 p.m. And look for all the live shows under the live tab on our YouTube page, or you can always listen on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, if you're a Rockets fan, we're not going to talk about them in this show because I just did a good long show with Frank, our boy with Houston, Houston's uh, Rockets Chop Shop, the Rockets Chop Shop YouTube channel. He's always fascinating on his Rockets takes and uh, you want to listen to that if you're a Rockets fan and Sean as we mentioned in our Texans Chiefs postgame show a couple of days ago Damian Pierce and Derek Steenley were put on the injured list they're on ice they're done for the season if we're grading Damian Pierce come on he gets an A plus for his rookie season everybody's going to give him that but what grade do you give Derek Stingley for his nine game rookie season B plus, A minus, I guess. Um, and I guess I can't give him an A plus because um, I didn't like the way that he looked in the coverage that he was being asked to play uh, by Lovey Smith. He he's doesn't play a lot of press man. I'd be interested to go back and see how much of that he actually played at all. I, I really can't speak to any specific on that outside of the fact that he didn't play very much of it. Okay, from a general standpoint, and it didn't utilize his skill set that a lot of people liked about him um, going into the 2022 draft. And I hate it for him because he's constantly compared to Sauce Gardner 
in New York who does uh, play man a lot, obviously is on uh, the opposition's best receiver all the time, gets an opportunity to uh, uh, contend, you know, more footballs than that of Derek Stingley, um, you know, when he played with the Houston Texans. So I hate that form. I think it's unfair comparison just because the two guys are used uh, so differently. To me, it's another indictment on Lovey Smith and the poor job that he's done, not just as a head coach, uh, but just as a defensive play caller, uh, not playing to uh, your 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 best player strength. I mean, he came out week one and said, this is our number one corner and played him as such, but in just crappy, you know, soft zone coverage and didn't really utilize his full skill set. Um, I think that's just another indictment. You mentioned Damian Pierce. The first indictment we saw routinely week after week in the first month of the season, Pierce not being on the field for the most highest leverage possessions and plays and didn't play late in games inside the six-minute mark of the fourth quarter at all through the first four games of the season. Just two egregious mistakes. And so I think judging and grading Derek Stingley because of the way that Lovey Smith used him is a little bit skewed. I like the size. I like the athletic ability. I like the speed element. I like the coverage ability that he did show in college and will show next year under a completely different defensive coordinator and head coaching staff. The hardest thing to do for an NFL player, I would assume, I haven't been one, but you hear that it's the mental stuff. And mentally, I would think for somebody like a Stingley coming into the NFL, it's much easier to figure out man coverage. I have to think quite a bit less if I'm doing man coverage than if I'm doing zone coverage. And, and, and I think that's really where you feel like it went off the tracks with, you know, making him do all that. Zone. I mean, we keep saying that, but it just seems like, I don't know. It feels obvious to everybody from the outside. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess Sean, maybe he's looking at this. I'm talking about Levy Smith is, well, this is the year to make mistakes in zone coverage because you're not going anywhere. The expectation isn't there. So maybe that was the feeling like let's throw everything at him. But I don't know. I feel like maybe a little gradual thing with Derek would have also been helpful to build his confidence and start off with more man coverage. And then as he gets more comfortable doing that and, and see some success, if you feel like you need to get him in some zone coverage, then do so. But it, it, it just didn't seem like that's the way Levy saw it. Yeah, and I don't think we're ever really going to get the answers to any of those questions in terms of why Levy Smith decided to use Derek Stingley as he did if he was so hell-bent on uh, running uh, you know, his own con uh, uh, concepts. Um, and look, hey, regardless of you know what you did well in college, what your best skill set is, you're going to be used in this way because this is the best defense um, to play. I, I don't know if we're ever really going to get the answers to those questions. Maybe de facto – when Lovey Smith is no longer coordinating a defense for the Houston Texans, maybe de facto when he's no longer going to be the head coach, which both of those I think absolutely happen. Um, you know, Nick Casario has his hands on a lot of what goes on in terms of the game plan. I think more than people really want to believe. I've been saying for a long time, this is a systematic tank. And I just think that there is an element of Casario getting these guys in-house. Like, we got the guys. Now, we may not be utilizing them in the best way possible, but we got them in-house. And when you talk about the egregious decisions made by this staff in terms of personal usage, well, then you also have to talk about 
hey, these guys, they're probably a little bit better than what they appear to be. And you can extrapolate that out onto this team should be more successful than 112 and 1 at this point in time. Well, if you were, guess what? If you were too successful, you might still be a bad football team, but you're not getting that number one overall pick. That's what they want. It's a systematic tank. I firmly believe that. I'll die on the hill. Can I ever prove it? No. I guess the only way to prove something like that is that when Casario is back as general manager of this organization and he makes the picks starting April 27th in 2023 and more of them work than not and they get their franchise quarterback and they start building this team and they prove a lot of people wrong that this rebuild is not going to take as long as they think. It always appears to be worse than I think it actually is. And unfortunately for Casario, because he was tied at the hip with Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby and the just ignorant decision-making and optics that Cal McNair chose to put forward with this organization, he's got a lot of work to do himself. And it has to be shown and proven on the football field. But first, he'll have the opportunity again for his second real draft class. And it's a ginormous opportunity for Casario to, I think, take a huge step in the right direction. So I'm going to die on that hill and just wait to see what happens come training camp next season for the Texans when we're all talking about a franchise quarterback and the weapons that he has on both offense and defense going forward with a young, innovative offensive coordinator and head coach. Yeah, it's the same same issue with the Rockets and the Texans. They're not doing well. It seems like it's kind of a tank. We're wondering if the coaches are, are doing part of the tank with their decisions or if this is the general manager's decisions or if they're working in conjunction. It's like we don't know. We don't know what's going on behind the curtain and at the Wizard of Oz. So we, we, it's hard for us to say who's to blame, who should we, we would be mad at. It's, it's, it's all nuts. But let's let's close out the show with our exclusive conversation with a former New York Jet fifth round pick, a former Minnesota Golden Gopher and a current Houston Texan. Joining me and Sean is Texans linebacker, Blake Cashman. Great to have you on the show and happy holidays, Blake. Thank you. Appreciate having me on. Happy holidays to you guys as well. Hey, for those who don't know, you grew up in Minnesota. You go to the University of Minnesota. We we got a little taste for you of Minnesota for Christmas, but I'm wondering, did you leave most of your winter stuff with your family up north? Because I, I'm sure it's pretty useless down here. I, uh, I did. I think... Uh... I have like one jacket down here and a couple beanies, but that's about it. <laughs> Robert's talking about the cold weather. I mean, we're obviously going to get a pretty good cold snap, you know, at the end of this week. And I think I was looking at game time temps for this weekend, and it's supposed to be five degrees in Tennessee. Now, like, yeah, coming from Minnesota, you should probably be pretty used to this cold weather kind of thing. But Let's go. <laughs> do you ever get used to that? That's what I was going to ask. Uh, I would just say, you know, you, you put up with it, but, uh, it's been a while since I've played in a game this cold. So I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, I'm looking forward to the opportunity of walking out there sleeveless. <laughs> <laughs> nice. you, have, you have to do that, especially if you're a defensive player, you have to do it or even a special teamer. Um, I, really anybody, no, no sleeves, like none of the extra stuff, you know, get lubed up with Vaseline or whatever, cover the pores up, do what you got to do. Um, That's exactly what I'm going to be doing. And it's all about a game like this when the weather uh, is cold and, you know, it could be windy, maybe a little snowy. Um, you know, it's, 
uh, one of those games where it's all about uh, effort and toughness. So uh, I'm very excited, and uh, it's a good opportunity for, for our team and our defense to show how strong and tough we are. I assume you were a Vikings fan growing up, right? <laughs> I actually uh, am considered a traitor back home. I grew up a, a diehard Green Bay Packers fan. So I, I'm just curious. You're you're still in the NFC North as a fan right there. So Levy was coaching the Bears at that time, who yep. I, who uh, the Bears fans, you know, they don't actually get along with the, the probably other people in the NFC. Has this come up in conversation with Levy at all that you you it, were against him? It has not. I don't. I don't think he knew or knows. I grew up uh, a Packers fan. I mean, now that I'm in the you know, playing in the NFL, uh, obviously, uh, a lot of that changes just your perspective on the game and, and, uh, being a fan. But, uh, I remember, uh, growing up watching the bears and, you know, that team that lovey was coaching and it was a, a good football team. And I believe I'm correct by saying this, that, uh, the green Bay Packers, Chicago bears is one of the oldest, best rivalries in, in all of football. Yeah, no question about that. You know, growing up, I remember watching plenty of those games on TV and really anything Green Bay Packers. I myself was kind of a closet Packer fan for so many years. Brett Favre was was my guy. He was everybody's guy. You know, you couldn't not root for Brett Favre, a guy like that. But Blake, you just mentioned it, you know, playing with toughness and um, the, the defense. You've gotten an opportunity to show what you can do a little bit more defensively of late. You recovered a fumble on special teams, and you recovered a fumble, um, I, I think, on defense at some point earlier this year. We recorded a sack, uh, I know, recently here. You've been getting a little bit more opportunities there. Can you talk a little bit about uh, those opportunities and a guy like Frank Ross, who has not just been rooting for you, but he's been rooting for Traymond Smith and some other guys that are regular contributors on a special teams unit that are getting a chance to shine defensively now? Yeah, I think it's all about, um, you know, being ready for the opportunity. Uh, I'm, I'm a guy that, you know, takes pride in, you know, knowing multiple roles, whether it be on defense or special teams, uh, because it's a, it's a physical game. And especially as the season goes on, gets late in the year, um, guys get, get banged up and um, you need players ready to go at, at multiple uh, spots. And at the end of the day, um, it's always good to be flying around and around the ball, uh, when, you know, teams, coaches, uh, put on the film. So, uh, I, I take a lot of pride in just, um, you know, being very active on the field and, um, you know, getting around the ball because, you know, whether it be you or somebody else that makes a play, um, you never know when the, the ball is going to, uh, get coughed up on the turf and, uh, you want to be able to take advantage of, uh, that moment. Uh, you've had that opportunity this year like you never really had before, Blake, in, in terms of being on the field. You know, starting with New York, uh, unfortunately, you dealt with a number of injuries. Um, I know you had the concussion earlier this year and thankfully it didn't keep you out for an extended period of time, really. But can you talk a little bit about that opportunity that you've had this year to be an every week contributor on special teams, had opportunities on defense, what that process has been like for you this year, being healthy and, 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 and how's it, how's it kind of set up for you that way with this medical staff, this training staff, what's different, what's working here, um, in, in Houston and, and, and with your body, how it's responded. 
That's a great question. And it's been a blessing to be healthy and playing all year. Uh, because obviously, like you said, um, in the past with injuries and missing a lot of time, I felt like I was deprived of football and, uh, you know, it was very frustrating, uh, for me and, you know, took a toll on me mentally, uh, but something, you know, different and credit to our performance staff and, you know, strength coach trainers, they've done a great job working with me and, uh, something different I've done this year compared to the past is I've done a lot more soft tissue work before, uh, workouts, practice, games. And I feel like that's been the, the biggest difference maker uh, in the past. You know, I always knew soft tissue work was important, but I always thought it was something you needed to do post practice and post games. And now I do it on both ends. And, uh, you know, I think that part of that is just me figuring out my body more, um, being around a staff that takes a different look at things um, or has a different perspective on. Uh, how to treat your body because I'm a guy that uh, when I am out there playing and, and, and working, like I, I put a lot of stress on my body and with extra stress, you need extra uh, soft tissue work. So, um, you know, I, I got mad respect uh, for the, our performance staff, because like I said, it's been a blessing and a privilege to be healthy this year. And uh, honestly, that was my goal coming into this season. Um, personally was to be healthy for for every game so aside from the concussion I'm very pleased with how it's gone and and like you said too with my role uh just trying to play wherever uh, I'm needed and you know do my job to the best of my ability you've uh done so much with special teams this year and been around Frank Ross uh tell me what he's like to be around a little bit because you know, you guys have had so much success on the special teams area of the team. And also, have you asked him about winning $14,000 on deal or no deal? <laughs> I have not asked him about that. I, I, uh, I'm going to have to get that, the details on that story. Um, but he is so fun to play for. He's a guy that, you know, I would argue probably has the most energy uh, in our building. And he makes meetings, practice games fun just because, he brings so much juice and he's, he's fired up. And, uh, you know, I think when you have a coach like that, uh, the players feed off that. And uh, I think that's why, you know, aside from him being a great coach, uh, that energy, it, it's contributed to making us such a, a good special teams unit. That video is up on YouTube of his deal or no deal. You can see the energy right there. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up because that is hilarious. I, I did not even know about that. I, I didn't either. I learned something today. I didn't. I had no idea. And, you know, Frank, uh, we uh, we have him uh, available to the media once a week. And so the next time that I get a chance to talk to him, I think it'll be Wednesday. Uh, well, maybe it was today, and I'm not there. But uh, next week, I'll have to ask him about that. You talk about the energy. The guy, I think, is an absolute uh, football junkie. I think he's probably kind of a little psycho too. Like. The guy gets amped up. I love watching the the special team sessions on Friday when we have a chance to see the first 30 minutes of practice and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit more about that energy, that 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 excitement that he brings on a game day, during the practice week? And then, too, I was curious about this, Blake. I pay attention to these kind of things. Christian Kirksey commanded a pregame huddle before the Chiefs game, and you were kind of front and center, and he was kind of getting the guys amped up. It seemed like he'd kept you guys a little bit longer than normal before uh, you headed back into the locker room, before the game started. 
Who gives the best impassioned pregame speeches? You said his name, Christian Kirksey. Uh, he's somebody that is a leader on our team and leads our defense. And uh, he's honestly, for the most part, broken down uh, our team, our, our huddle uh, pregame. And, you know, he, you can just, just with his demeanor and um, just the fire in his eyes and voice, you know, gets us ready to go, gets our minds right. And, uh, you know, he always seems to know exactly what to say and, uh, we all we all feel his presence when when he's speaking and when you have a great leader a great football player on your team uh, you know you, you take note to those things and uh, you know that's um, why you know we love regardless of how our season's going we love playing for for him we love playing for each other because um, you know we're a brotherhood and a family and we're all in this together of the Texans rookies and there's a bunch of them who is the biggest character Ooh, that's a good question. Do, do you ever have to worry about Jalen Petrie like hitting you in the back? He's always flying around. I'm I'm thinking as a as the linebacker, you're worried about where's Petrie? He, he might he might give me a little friendly fire. <laughs> he, I mean, yeah, he plays very tenacious. He's all over the field, um, having a great season. He's going to have a, a great career in this league. And we're happy to have him, and I'm excited to see how he progresses. In terms of, like, uh, character, you know, I might say Austin Deculus uh, on the O-line. You know, offensive <laughs> linemen, they're always so, you know, personable and um, got big hearts and uh, always making guys laugh. So I, I'd probably put him up there. Um, Kurt Heinisch, he, you know, he's he's uh, just a blue-collar grinder and uh, – you know, just his his perspective on things and just um, how hard he works and looks at things. It's uh, he's always got some funny comments to make. Those last two guys that you mentioned, Deculus and Heinish, they seem like they'd be pretty cool guys to uh, hang out with on a weekend. And and kind of getting to that, what are you doing? You know, during the season um, when you're kind of a, get a chance to get away from football. Um, what do you like to do? How do you like to spend your downtime? You, you got some favorite spots, hangouts uh, that you like to enjoy in the city of Houston? Yeah, I mean, I uh, for the most part, I would say I'm, I'm either here, um, back at my apartment. But uh, for this year, you know, it's because I've been healthy and playing. I've had a lot more family and friends coming to town, so it's always uh, fun to share those moments with them, have them at the games, and then go going to grab a bite to eat or something afterwards. But um, for the most part, uh, you know, aside from work, I like to watch a lot of a lot like to watch a lot of Netflix, play a lot of uh, Call of Duty. The, the new Call of Duty dropped, I think, end of uh, October. So um, that's usually what I'm doing on my free time if I'm uh, not here working. What's your What's your go to on Netflix? Are you a big like crime doc guy? I mean, I'm I'm a crime documentary nut, true crime and uh, mystery and uh, a lot of history. What, what's your go-to? Honestly, I watch a little bit of, of everything. You know, I'd probably, with the list of shows I've watched, probably would surprise some people. But um, right now, I've just been watching a lot of holiday movies. It's that time of the year. Uh, on HBO, I started watching, uh, what is it, The House of the Dragons or House of Dragons um, from Game of Thrones. Uh, Amazon Prime, I watched that new uh, Lord of the Rings series. 
Uh, so that's that's what I've been watching recently. All you, very good. Are you a Hallmark movie guy? Does the does the TV kind of make its way to Lifetime or Hallmark or what? Uh, I don't know if I call myself a Hallmark movie guy, but uh, you know, I get in the holiday spirit, and uh, my girlfriend she loves to watch stuff like that too. So you know. As a man, you got to do what, what the girl says. Keep them happy. <laughs> do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Oh, for sure, Elf. No question about it. <laughs> I was hoping he would add some fuel to the fire and say, like, Die Hard or something. Since I, <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people would say Elf. I also like, uh, there's one with, uh, uh, what's it? It's called The Office Party, I believe. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. That. It's a it's a comedy. It's pretty funny. Probably seen that five times. Yet to still watch it this holiday season, but so you saw that one on the agenda. I've probably watched Elf like five times in the last three days alone. <laughs> and I have a two year old boy. Like they are nuts about that movie, and it's Will Ferrell. So I mean, it it definitely works, and I never really get tired of it, but. I'm at the point now where I've seen it so much. I'm looking for like mistakes made in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's an all time movie. It is. Nothing it is. wrong with watching it multiple times over and over. Nothing wrong with it. When you were a kid, was there a Christmas gift kind of related to football that you were all pumped up about? I mean, I, I you sound like a video gamer. So was there a video game football related or anything like that that you got all excited about as a kid? Well, I remember growing up, I always would ask for the new Madden. That was always on my Christmas list. Uh, usually there would be um, a new Green Bay Packers jersey on the list. Uh, I Growing up, I had a lot of different jerseys, a lot of different players and teams. So uh, those were always on my Christmas list. Do, do you got your family coming down for Christmas? I do not. I have my girlfriend coming to town, but I do you have my family coming to this Tennessee game in hopes that they, they make it out of Minneapolis? There's, I guess, a big uh, winter storm coming in the Midwest, and I think they canceled flights already today. And they're already telling people that flights for Thursday night and Friday are likely to be canceled. So I'm hoping they make it out just because it'd be great to uh, have them and see them on Christmas Eve. Um, but uh, it's still up in the air, depending on the weather. Yeah, weather's weather's going to be an absolute mess, man. And I, you know, I do have to say, I, I enjoy the cold weather games. If there's going to be snow, I'm all in. I don't care who's playing. I want to see it. And I, I was really impressed that they cleaned the field up in Buffalo this past week as well as they did after it looked the way uh, that it did, like just feet and feet and feet of snow in that stadium. But um, all the best to, uh, of luck to you and, and the team this week in Tennessee. Uh, you guys have been playing with a lot of extra juice here in the last uh, couple of weeks and certainly hope you guys are able to get a dub on Saturday, Christmas Eve in Tennessee. I really appreciate you joining us, Blake. Thank you, man. Thanks, Thank man. you. I appreciate it. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.